Blog Talk Radio. Take it home where you spread it around. If you don't like who's in there, vote them out. That's what Election Day is all about. And the biggest gun we got is called the ballot box. If you don't like who's in there, vote them out. Vote them out. Vote them out. And when they're gone, we'll sing and dance and shout. And she'll bring some new ones in, and they will start the show again. And if you don't like who's in there, vote them out. My family went back and forth between lower middle class and working class. Yet even when they came home weary and bone tired, my parents found a way to show us all who we could be. My librarian mother taught us to love learning. My father, a shipyard worker, put in overtime and extra shifts, and they made sure we volunteered to help others. Later, they both became United Methodist Ministers, an expression of the faith that guides us. Family values, faith, service, education, and responsibility. Now, we only had one car, so sometimes my dad had to hitchhike and walk long stretches during the 30-mile trip home from the shipyards. One rainy night, my mom got worried. We piled in the car and went out looking for him, and we eventually found my dad making his way along the road, soaked and shivering in his shirt sleeves. When he got in the car, My mom asked if he'd left his coat at work. He explained that he'd given it to a homeless man he'd met on the highway. When we asked why he'd given away his only jacket, my dad turned to us and said, I knew when I left that man he'd still be alone, but I could give him my coat because I knew you were coming for me. Our power and strength as Americans lives in our hard work and our belief in more. My family understood firsthand that while success is not guaranteed, we live in a nation where opportunity is possible. But we do not succeed alone. In these United States, when times are tough, we can persevere because our friends and neighbors will come for us. Our first responders will come for us. It is this mantra, this uncommon grace of community that has driven me to become an attorney, a small business owner, a writer, and most recently, the Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia. My reason for running was simple. I love our country and its promise of opportunity for all. And I stand here tonight because I hold fast to my father's credo. Together, we are coming for America, for a better America. Just a few weeks ago, I joined volunteers to distribute meals to furloughed federal workers. They waited in line for a box of food and a sliver of hope since they hadn't received paychecks in weeks. Making livelihoods of our federal workers a pawn for political games is a disgrace. The shutdown was a stunt engineered by the President of the United States, 
one that defied every tenet of fairness and abandoned not just our people, but our values. For seven years, I led the Democratic Party in the Georgia House of Representatives. I didn't always agree with the Republican speaker or governor, but I understood that our constituents didn't care about our political parties, they cared about their lives. So when we had to negotiate criminal justice reform or transportation or foster care improvements, the leaders of our state didn't shut down. We came together and we kept our word. It should be no different in our nation's capital. We may come from different sides of the political aisle, but our joint commitment to the ideals of this nation cannot be negotiable. Our most urgent work is to realize Americans' dreams of today and tomorrow, to carve a path to independence and prosperity that can last a lifetime. Children deserve an excellent education from cradle to career. We owe them safe schools and the highest standards, regardless of zip code. Yet this White House responds timidly while first graders practice active shooter drills and the price of higher education grows ever steeper. From now on, our leaders must be willing to tackle gun safety measures and face the crippling effect of educational loans, to support educators and invest what is necessary to unleash the power of America's greatest minds. In Georgia and around the country, people are striving for a middle class where a salary truly equals economic security. But instead, families' hopes are being crushed by Republican leadership that ignores real life or just doesn't understand it. Under the current administration, far too many hardworking Americans are falling behind, living paycheck to paycheck, most without labor unions to protect them from even worse harm. The Republican tax bill rigged the system against working people. Rather than bringing back jobs, plants are closing, layoffs are looming, and wages struggle to keep pace with the actual cost of living. We owe more to the millions of everyday folks who keep our economy running, like truck drivers forced to buy their own rigs, farmers caught in a trade war, small business owners in search of capital, and domestic workers serving without labor protections. Women and men who could thrive if only they had the support and freedom to do so. We know bipartisanship could craft a 21st century immigration plan, but this administration chooses to cage children and tear families apart. Compassionate treatment at the border is not the same as open borders. President Reagan understood this. President Obama understood this. Americans understand this. And Democrats stand ready to effectively secure our ports and borders. But we must all embrace that from agriculture to healthcare to entrepreneurship, America is made stronger by the presence of immigrants, not walls. And rather than suing to dismantle the Affordable Care Act, as Republican attorneys general have, our leaders must protect the progress we've made and commit to expanding health care and lowering costs for everyone. My father has battled prostate cancer for years. To help cover the cost, I found myself sinking deeper into debt, because while you can defer some payments, you can't defer cancer treatment. In this great nation, Americans are skipping blood pressure pills, forced to choose between buying medicine or paying rent. 
maternal mortality rates show that mothers, especially black mothers, risk death to give birth. And in 14 states, including my home state, where a majority want it, our leaders refuse to expand Medicaid, which could save rural hospitals, save economies, and save lives. We can do so much more. Take action on climate change. Defend individual liberties with fair-minded judges. But none of these ambitions are possible without the bedrock guarantee of our right to vote. Let's be clear. Voter suppression is real. From making it harder to register and stay on the rolls, to moving and closing polling places, to rejecting lawful ballots, we can no longer ignore these threats to democracy. While I acknowledge the results of the 2018 election here in Georgia, I did not, and we cannot, accept efforts to undermine our right to vote. That's why I started a nonpartisan organization called Fair Fight to advocate for voting rights. This is the next battle for our democracy, one where all eligible citizens can have their say about the vision we want for our country. We must reject the cynicism that says allowing every eligible vote to be cast and counted is a power grab. Americans understand that these are the values our brave men and women in uniform and our veterans risk their lives to defend. The foundation of our moral leadership around the globe is free and fair elections, where voters pick their leaders, not where politicians pick their voters. In this time of division and crisis, we must come together and stand for and with one another. America has stumbled time and again on its quest towards justice and equality. But with each generation, we have revisited our fundamental truths, and where we falter, we make amends. We fought Jim Crow with the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, yet we continue to confront racism from our past and in our present, which is why we must hold everyone from the highest offices to our own families accountable for racist words and deeds and call racism what it is, wrong. America achieved a measure of reproductive justice in Roe v. Wade, but we must never forget it is immoral to allow politicians to harm women and families to advance a political agenda. We affirmed marriage equality, and yet the LGBTQ community remains under attack. So even as I am very disappointed by the president's approach to our problems, I still don't want him to fail. But we need him to tell the truth and to respect his duties and respect the extraordinary diversity that defines America. Our progress has always been found in the refuge, in the basic instinct of the American experiment, to do right by our people. And with a renewed commitment to social and economic justice, we will create a stronger America together. Because America wins by fighting for our shared values against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That is who we are. And when we do so, never wavering, the state of our union will always be strong. Thank you, and may God bless the United States of America. The title of our episode on the 6th of February, 2018, 
the stateless union. The Washington Post uh, had a headline up uh, that uh, on the uh, Trump State of the Union, the dissolent uh, State of the Union speech, Trump seeks unity while while uh, depicting uh, ruin. Uh, is it? Anyway, looking at the Webster Dictionary here, it was interesting. Uh, the dissident is an adjective marked by uh, incongruence, uh, unsolved, uh, harmonically unsolved. In other words, uh, that is basically the root of it. It comes from the Latin word sare. You guessed it, sare means, here's a hint uh, related to the derivatives of sare, supersonic uh, resilience. Uh, it sounds as if it was sare, uh, sare, excuse me, has something to do with the sound, if uh, you're right, in fact, Sorry means uh, to sound, is related to the Latin noun sonus. Treating the sound, it's, a, uh, it's an ancient English word, uh, sound. So, dissonant includes a negative uh, situation also in uh, harmonic, conflicting, and uh, also uh, clashing. So this is basically what they had to say about uh, D.J. Trump. D.J. Trump com uh, confronted a split Congress for the first time Tuesday night by delivering a, a dissonant uh, State of the Union address, interceding, uplifting uh, to a bipartisan uh, compromise with a chilling a depiction of murder and ruin, calling the situation of the U.S. border an urgent uh, national crisis. D.J. Trump again called on Congress to approve the, uh, the, uh, to, uh, excuse me, approve the uh, long-promised uh, wall. They argued that without a physical barrier, working-class Americans would lose their jobs and uh, grip with... Uh, dangerous uh, crime and overcrowded schools and medical centers. He also cited an unmistakable uh, trend to new Democratic House majority over implementing uh, on uh, oversight investigations in his conduct and personal finances, as well as alleged corruption in the administration. The president warned that everyday Americans may suffer from what he termed ridiculous probes. An economic miracle is taking place in the U.S., and the only thing that uh, can stop us now are foolish wars, politics, ridiculous partisan investigations. If there is uh, going to be uh, peace and uh, legislation, there cannot be war and investigations, according to D.J. Trump. What we've done here, we, uh, when our part ends here, we have uh, Stacey Abrams, she was a gubernatorial candidate in the state of uh, Georgia. She gave the Democratic response. Then we go to our own uh, Bernard Sanders. He is the junior senator uh, from uh, the state of Vermont. And Bernie will be talking about inequality and the real state of working people in the U.S. Very good uh, response to this stateless uh, union or state of the union, whatever you want to call it. And uh, finally, uh, we have uh, 
a response uh, from a working class uh, party by uh, Mr. Bechtel. He'll be t given the uh, working class response to the uh, State Reunion. Bechtel is uh, the uh, chair of the CPUSA, and we thought we would give a left position here. And however you want to cut this up, uh, Bernie Sanders, of course, representing the people in uh, many uh, uh, countries. It would be a social democrat uh, response, but in the U.S., uh, it is a socialist response. So we virtually have two socialist responses, and then we have a middle-of-the-road uh, Democrat in Stacey Abrams bringing all people together. This is So this is what we're trying to do here at WBRN Radio and on the Boston Red uh, Network. It was uh, noted by, uh, I guess you'd say, the father of uh, podcast uh, statistics, uh, Tom Cochran, that these types of uh, the State of Union, etc., you will see a uh, jump or a uh, uptick in uh, the number of people that tune into these various uh, Internet episodes, podcasts, whatever you want to call them. Usually something like anywhere from uh, 10 to 15 and perhaps 20%. Our take on that is... Um, you will see some uptick, but a lot of that is smothered in the uh, national networks all carrying it live, whether it be ABC, NBC, PBS, etc., the uh, cable uh, conglomerate, and other podcasts, whether it be Nate Silver, we'll go to him in a minute. He doesn't have a podcast out yet, but there will be all kinds of podcasts out. The BBC, the talking heads are, are busy. So I can recall back 20 years ago, the late, great Jerry Pippen and I were talking about this. And what happens is people, uh, it wasn't as bad 20 years ago, but they temporarily get an overload. So thus, with the type of medium we have, they can go back and get some statistics. So we'll go into a little bit of polling here, and we'll explain uh, what is actually uh, going on here. Let's go quickly to Nate Silver. We don't want to spend too much time here. Uh, this is by Nate Silver. Uh, that's a wrap, he calls it. What went down in uh, Trump's uh, 2019 State of the Union. Effectively, he's the same uh, thing here. This afternoon, I wrote um, uh, more interesting than usual. I was more interesting than usual in the State of the Union address, and I sort of regret writing that. I don't think there was a lot of news in this speech. I don't think there, uh, this is going to change much. The uh, first and uh, foremost reason I was interested is that I thought Trump might uh, signal his uh, strategy on the border wall, that is, uh, whether he's willing to shut down the government again or declare a national emergency or whatever else. But he didn't really do that. It's uh, not even clear that he had his strategy figured out. Now, arguably, the lack of a uh, threat to shut down the government or declare a national emergency is itself noteworthy, pulling back uh, from the brink, if you will. But uh, there was also enough rhetoric about the importance of the wall, about the dangerous illegal immigrants uh, 
is a vet, I'm not sure I'd give too much credence to that theory. The second reason I'm interested is that I wanted to see if uh, Trump would uh, stick to what the White House uh, teaser ahead of the time. They always give out in these uh, state speeches uh, some advance uh, copy. Uh, they do give the advance copy out about an hour, but teasers, he call them a speech that a truly signal a pivot towards a more bipartisan approach. What he what he did do, uh, I would, if he had uh, talked, uh, had not talked so long, uh, hadn't talked so long on immigration, he might have, but instead he used the uh, very same sort of rhetoric, a standard stump speech, in other words, uh, that he's used so many times before, including uh, the uh, demoralizing of immigrants, and there was very little in uh, terms of substance of uh, policy uh, on stuff uh, like infrastructure, which really could have a good opportunity, uh, could be a good opportunity for Trump. And finally, I was interested in uh, Stacey Abrams' response. It was uh, good in a sense, but it, it wasn't uh, very newsworthy, since often these responses have been uh, disasters. I have, uh, I have uh, liked to. Uh, see her have an even a sharper focus on voting rights and to have uh, spoken to the audience that was actually reacting to the speech instead of just standing uh, behind her like a, a Greek chorus. I kind of thought about that also. But uh, as uh, these things go, it was uh, pretty decent. It wasn't uh, tremendous. It uh, isn't uh, likely to do her... Uh, more good. It's likely, excuse me, it's likely to do her more good than harm. Uh, definitely there. Uh, the choreographing there, we can't uh, put that on uh, Stacey Abrams because that is what the uh, Democratic Party wanted to do. But overall, I don't think uh, this is a uh, newsworthy night. The president had uh, some good moments and some bad moments, some funny moments and some awkward ones. And overall, the speech was so much of a. Uh, I'd call it a boondoggle, but anyway, <laughs> that it didn't really uh, cohere into uh, that uh, is going to matter. Within a day or two, uh, more interesting stories will enter the news cycle, and everyone would have forgotten about it. Even some of the better uh, State of the Unions out there that uh, Barack Obama uh, introduced uh, or sometimes uh, forgotten about because of the old hodgepodge effect here, as he calls it, uh, period. Thanks for following along with us tonight, uh, everyone. And Nate will have uh, some uh, closing uh, takeaways in a moment. Well, we just had the closing takeaways here. Anyway, uh, let's see what else we got here. I'm just looking down. Uh, uh, well... Perry Beacon Jr. on well, anyway, these are just some various people that work here uh, in terms of uh, Abrams' future. I uh, this is Terry Beacon Jr. I feel like uh, Trump could lose the 2020 election, but still win Georgia Dragon, the GOP Senate candidate there too. I think two statewide losses is uh, curtains for Abrams' career, so running in 2020 is a risk. And I'm worried that she decides to run in 2020. Uh, Nate Silver, Fox News uh, panel uh, line, is uh, that uh, Abrams' response was well-delivered, especially given 
that it was a hard speech to tackle, but it was uh, too uh, pessimistic. Well, I didn't sense her as pessimistic. I sensed that she was actually upbeat, optimistic, talked about her parents. Uh, the CNN panel, this is from Amika Cohen, gave Abrams a good marks. And from Nathan Ratchy, Abrams is actually on uh, the recording saying that her intention is uh, to run uh, for president in 2028. Well, could be. Run for president, huh? Well, she possibly could run for president, given the crop that we have. Incidentally, I was looking at uh, a newspaper article out of the Midwest, the Twin Cities, and Amy Klobuchar on uh, Sunday uh, will hold a mass rally outside to tell the people whether or not she's going to run. Well, I assume the the logic here, the common reasoning would be that she will or she wouldn't be outside in the cold and possibly could be in the snow. And given that it's in uh, Minnesota, it uh, anything could happen. Uh, Abrams' speech that was totally about voting issues uh, would have been uh, much better. Well, again, uh, that's a little bit different there. Voter suppression, this is Perry Beacon here, uh, is real and strong. And she talked about this. This is Abrams. I think it would have been better if uh, you focused just on just uh, one theme, do literally 100% speech are uh, 95% on voting rights. The problem is if you did your whole speech on voting rights, you would turn off some of the audience. You're trying to get the biggest possible audience, so you have to talk about the strides of women, you have to talk about the uh, working class, working people, and she talked about that. Her family uh, moved from uh, being uh, in the... uh, middle or lower middle class, wherever you wanted to put them. Her mother was a librarian. Her father worked in the shipyard. And then they turned into ministers, talked about her father's struggle with prostate cancer. We can uh, sympathize with that one. It is uh, kind of difficult to quickly react to what the president actually said. This is Godfrey Skilling. He used to be over at a Sabato's place. So uh, whatever you uh, need to say. And some others here, Perry Beacon Jr., and that really... She is doing everything weird that would uh, hurt her uh, political. She's not, excuse me, being uh, picked uh, for this uh, is a beak for her, no doubt. She also is on the Super Bowl. It keeps the buzz about running for the Senate going, whether or not she runs or not. No, you should just say uh, whatever uh, the hell you want. There's Nate Silver there. And Perry Beacon Jr., Abrams uh, gave an interesting speech, had a great sense of humor. She did indeed. This is a speech that sounds like it was written by uh, Nancy Pelosi and Schumer's uh, staff, but because I'm sure uh, they did have some input, probably did. That's probably some of the problems. Anyway, uh, let's see. From Meredith uh, Conroy, uh, I think Abrams is smart to start with the shutdown. Several Democrats uh, brought uh, furlough workers as guests. Well, she did do that. Uh, like Elizabeth Warren, who invited, and I'm not going to try to get her name going here. The delivery was uh, bad in the first uh, couple of minutes because uh, she was speaking too fast, probably nervous, no doubt about that. I agree there. Yeah, that was a little bit off there. You'll hear it incidentally. Uh, Nate said, well, why are people randomly uh, standing uh, behind her? Uh, It's like uh, somebody said, it's uh, awkward 
to speak uh, without an audience, and so instead they managed to find an equally awkward uh, way of it. Look like in the Greek uh, pyramids or something. Anyway, speaking to the base isn't uh, going to get uh, Trump his wall. As Godfrey Skilling, that's a very good uh, point that he made. And let me see what else we got going here. But uh, why are uh, speeches so hard uh, at, at, at Vox? Uh, Put it in, uh, this is Andrew uh, Pocock, a Procock, I guess, put it in, in 2016. Part of the problem is that the opposition party never has a venue that matches that of the president. No doubt about that. The audience has already said through a long speech. Well, there's no doubt about that also. Speaking of this, like the Republican Bobby uh, Gentle, uh, he, we don't know where he is. In 2009, long-serving politicians like Democrat... Uh, Steve Bashir uh, to deliver a compelling rebuttal. Uh, Steve Bashir, if I remember, did a, a good job. Initially, it looked like the Democrats' selection, selection of Abrams this year would be evident that the party had worked through some of its internal conflicts. Uh, Abrams appeared uh, to uh, a different segment of the Democratic base and presented a clear voice of resistance to Trump. Having Abrams give the official response also... Uh, might indicate that Democrats are willing to embrace some new ideas, new people uh, to the uh, face uh, uh, to be the face of the party. But the official response uh, from uh, progressives, African Americans, plus the Spanish language response, hadn't stopped. Bernie uh, Sanders of the uh, are of the Working Family Party from planning their own version. Yeah, Bernie had a very good one. Bernie was very good in his delivery. You'll hear that in a minute. And uh, so was uh, Mr. Uh, Bechtel. And the left uh, compete uh, to hear next year's response to the State of the Union will be during the lead-up to the 2010-20 there. And there will be a rebuttal uh, to reflect uh, each of the many candidates who are expected to vie for the nomination. There's no doubt there will be a lot of candidates uh, there. We can kind of bet on that one. And let me just go to real clear politics. I just want to make something clear here on the race, and then we'll do the sports. We said to sort of break the... Uh, we forgot about Northam. Um, didn't have anything to say about him. I was looking at real clear. They usually have a lot of articles. We encourage people to do that. You know, stumbling his way to the Mideast retreat. Yeah, anyway. Incidentally, there will be a summit in uh, in Vietnam with Kim Jong-un, uh, the uh, leader of the Democratic Republic of uh, Korea, known as North Korea. He and D.J. Trump will sit down in uh, Vietnam. This is on Monday, incidentally, and we went on this poll before, but let me just give the numbers here. This is Democratic presidential nomination 2020. Joe Biden at 29%, and uh, Bernie Sanders 16%, uh, Beto O'Rourke 7%, Harris had 11%, that's Harris of California, Elizabeth Warren, 8%. Uh, Twitter King Booker, 4%. And I won't mess with the rest of them there. They're in the low, 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 lonely numbers. And on Sunday, we had another poll out. Uh, Biden had 29%. Bernie got his 15%. Harris, surprisingly enough, this is an Emerson poll uh, out of Boston, had 18% in this poll. Warren had 11%. They all bunched up together. Beto O'Rourke in the single digits with 6%. Amy Klobuchar at 3%. I really wouldn't uh, 
worry about this particular one, but what I did look at uh, more than anything else is the matchups at this point in time. DJ Trump, 53, to Harris, uh, 47. Biden, 51. DJ Trump, a fairly close one there at 49. DJ Trump, 52, 49. One point, the dead heap with Bernie Sanders. DJ Trump and uh, Beat O'Rourke. Robert Francis O'Rourke out of uh, El Paso, Texas. He's up by six, old DJ Trump was. He's up by eight over Gillibrand. Uh, he is up by nine. This is Brown, Shed Brown, sending from Ohio, from the Appalachian part of Ohio. And finally, uh, if they, and this is a, 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 a person asked me about this tonight. This would be Trump, Warren, and and uh, uh, Schultz. This is Schwartz. Anyway, uh, Schwartz. Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, Schwartz. Uh, Trump has 29. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has 40. And Schultz came in here. Uh, Schwartz, I should say, came in here with uh, formerly of uh, Starbucks fame. With 11, so it would give uh, him the election. Uh, Swartz is a uh, libertarian-type candidate, a little bit uh, talking about that. And if we go back to January the 3rd, just looking at some of these polls here, Joe Biden is still in He's in the 30s, and in this poll, uh, Bernie Sanders had 15, basically about the same. And Rourke had his 6, and Harris was down at 10, and so forth and so on in the single digits uh, there. Klobuchar and company in that. We had some, I don't think we'll have it here. Um, well, here's a PPP poll. This is way back in January the 22nd. Biden had 53 to 41 in their poll over D.J. Trump. Warren was 48 to uh, 42. Harris was 48 to 41 over D.J. Trump up by 7. Beto O'Rourke, 47 to 41. All of these. And Bernie was up by 10. Twitter King Booker was even beaten. This was uh, out of North Carolina. A little different situation. Now, incidentally, the Washington Post came up with a uh, some type of a registration card, a card that Elizabeth Warren uh, signed uh, in, in longhand or ballpoint pen, whatever, uh, that said she was an American Oprah Winfrey. And I don't see the Elizabeth Warren story for her. Hopefully it dropped off. It's somewhere else. Anyway, we'll get it uh, later, and we'll look at it. Uh, we also have all these uh, former L.A. Mansion. Anyway, uh, let's do the uh, sports. Basically, uh, our thoughts on the uh, so-called uh, stateless union, or the state of the union, was that... Uh, the State of the Union, according to D.J. Trump, very negative situation. He was he was talking about uh, the economy being very good. Bernie Sanders, uh, you listen to Bernie, Bernie uh, counted that particular situation. He does a very good job. We won't go into it here. But basically, uh, the cost of living. Uh, a gentleman and I were talking about that tonight, uh, the cost of living. And uh, people making, say, 15 to $20 an hour. Particularly uh, someone that's married and with children, very, very difficult uh, to survive. 
and seniors are on 14,000 or 10,000 or whatever the limit there. Very, very difficult to survive there. So these are some of the realistic things that are actually going on. Let's do the sports very quickly. We'll start with college basketball. Uh, we had Missouri at Tennessee. Tennessee 72 to 60. We have uh, Boston College at Duke. It was Duke 80 to 55. South Carolina was at Kentucky, a, ba- uh, a basketball school, powerhouse, 76 uh, to 48. Michigan was at Rutgers, uh, Michigan 77 to 65. There, North Carolina at uh, North Carolina State at North Carolina 103, 113. Excuse me, to uh, 96. High scoring game there, North Carolina. Then we have Michigan and the Illini of Illinois. Illinois 79-274. St. John's and Marquette out of Milwaukee. Anyway, with a one-point game, uh, St. John's had 70-69, and Kansas and Kansas State still always be a good game. It was Kansas State uh, 74-67. And finally, Florida State and Syracuse. It was all Florida State 80-62. On to the NBA the Clippers were at the Hornets. It was the Clippers, 117 to 115. The Celts were at the Cavaliers in Cleveland. The Celtics, 103 to 96. The Lakers at the Pacers. It was the Pacers, 136 to 94 for the uh, Lakers. The Pistons at the Knickerbockers. It was the Pistons, 105 to the Knicks, 92. The Raptors at the 76ers. It was the Raptors, 119. To 107, the T Wolves were at the Grizzlies. It was a, a two-point game. Grizzlies at 108 to uh, 106. The Magic was at the Thunder in OKC. It was the Thunder uh, 132 to uh, 122. And finally, the Heat was out in uh, Portland, and the Heat actually pulled this game out 118 to 108. And on to the National Hockey League. And no music tonight. The Islanders were at the Bruins. It was the Bruins 3-1. to one. The Wild was at the Sabres. Uh, it was uh, the Sabres 5-4. Uh, to four. And the Blues and the Panthers. It was the Blues of St. Louis. The Kings and the Devils. The final there. Kings 5-1. Uh, I have my glasses on. I always have to look at these things and see what's going on here. Yeah, 5-1. to one. Okay. The Hurricanes and the Penguins. The Hurricanes shut out the Penguins for zip. The Canucks and Capitals. It was the Capitals 3-2. to two. The Ducks of Anaheim and the Canadians. It was Canadians 4-1. to one. The Golden Knights of Las Vegas 3-2 uh, to two over the Lightning. And the Coyotes and Predators. Predators 5-2. to two. The Sharks and Jets in an overtime. It was the Sharks 2-1 to one over the Winnipeg Jets. The Blue Jackets and Avalanche. It was the Blue Jackets, uh, six to three. And the Blackhawks and Oilers, it was the Blackhawks, six to, uh, two. Ah, yes. Anyway, that does the sports. And on, uh, to, uh, Stacey Abrams and then Bernie Sanders. And then Mr. Bechtel of the CPUSA to give the working class response. Have a good day, everyone. We'll talk to you uh, soon. It was the Stateless Union.
was the uh, title of this episode on the 6th of February 2019 from WBRN Radio and on the Boston Red Network. This is uh, Boston Red himself from the Jerry Pippen Broadcast booth. We had to get that in. Good day. Let me uh, thank all of you for joining me tonight. I know that it is late, and I'm not going to go on uh, for too long. And let me also just congratulate uh, Stacey Abrams uh, for her very, very effective response uh, to President Trump's State of the Union. Uh, now we, I think, all know why she would have been a wonderful governor uh, of Georgia. Um, I know that this will probably not shock uh, you, uh, but uh, I hate to say this, uh, but not everything Donald Trump said tonight was true or accurate. Uh, tonight, uh, when we talk about the economy, tonight and on numerous occasions uh, since he has taken office, President Trump has told the American people that the U.S. economy is the hottest economy anywhere in the world, that it is really booming. Well, that may be true for the members of his um, Mar-a-Lago Country Club, where the price of admission has doubled to $200,000. For those folks who go to Trump's club and for the wealthiest people in our nation, Trump is right. Uh, The economy is really booming. In fact, for many of President Trump's billionaire friends, the truth is they have never, ever had it so good. But for the middle class and for the working families of our country, the truth is that the economy is not so great. Over the last year, for example, real inflation accounted for wages for the average American worker is up by all of 1.2%, just $9.11 a week. In fact, real wages for that same worker that average American worker, are lower today than they were in 1973. Let me repeat that. The average American worker, after adjusting for inflation, is earning less today than he or she did 46 years ago, despite huge increases in productivity. Sadly, millions of American workers are now forced to work two or three jobs just to pay the bills and to keep their heads above water economically. In America today, and somehow or another, President Trump didn't mention this in his speech, we have more wealth and income inequality than almost any major country on earth. And it is more unfair, more unequal now than at any other time since the gilded age of the 1920s. Yes, the economy is great for the three wealthiest people in America who own more wealth than the bottom half of our country, 160 million Americans. Yes, the economy is great for the top 1% who now earn 46% of all new income in our economy. Yes, the economy is great for the top 25 hedge fund managers on Wall Street who made nearly twice as much income last year as all 140,000 kindergarten teachers in our country, 25 hedge fund managers. Yeah, 
the economy is great for the five richest people in America who have seen their wealth go up by over $100 billion since Trump was elected, and for corporations that have announced over $1 trillion in stock buybacks in 2018 alone. Yes, the economy may be great for those folks, but it is absolutely not booming for the nearly 80% of American workers who live paycheck to paycheck, desperately hoping that their child doesn't get sick, praying that their car doesn't break down, or that they don't lose their job.